another episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nithin. What's good, Nithin? So last week, what did we say? This was the one and only time to discuss all eight playoff series. Uh, seven days later, five of them are already done. Um, well, six of them are done at the time of this recording. After uh, after the Sixers beat the Raptors when it looked like it was you know potentially headed to a very dicey game seven. And then uh, same thing with the Suns and Pelicans. Suns won on the road with Devin Booker returning. So we talked about him at the right time because now it's all eyes ahead pretty much across the board to, to um, you know, to round two, except for the last two series are here to yet to finish up. And you know what, at this point, I'm glad I'm, uh, there's a lot of pseudo drama created in the first round. When I pseudo drama, I mean the Pelicans are tied two two. Um, and then what's the other series that was the Raptors came yeah. back three, two. So yeah, you have these top teams that look like they might eventually get upset, but it, you know, we forget that at the end of the day, the talent, those teams are just too good to to falter like that. So a lot of these series, we may not even see a game seven unless the jazz who are up right now can pull it off against Dallas. So, yep. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they basically, you know, like if you think about Dallas, like this is currently you know, Dallas is down 57, 53 right now. So who knows which way the game will go. Um, but it's possible that they send this back to game seven after they looked completely, Utah looked completely dead in the water in game five. Um, Memphis, Minnesota has been such a crazy series where like Minnesota should have won this thing in five. And yet they, they're, they're looking at an elimination game all of a sudden, cause they cannot, they just don't know how to play any uh, defense and don't know how to hold a lead. So at the same time, it seems like such a young team that forgets its mistakes that I could easily see them winning game six tomorrow and then like at least pushing it to seven in Memphis. So it's been a fun ride. I I don't even know. Um, you know, you got to back Luca when you can, but I don't know which way that other series is going to go. I think the Memphis series, it is fun for sure, uh, objectively. It just pisses me off, though, because I know either one of those teams is going up against the Warriors. And are going to get absolutely smacked, right? And the more that series goes on, the less confident I am in either team. Mm-hmm. You know, despite I know Memphis came back and, and won behind Jaws Heroics, and you know, he had a great fourth quarter. It's just, dude, these these teams can't get it together. They're susceptible to runs. They they go through cold stretches. You can't trust their stars from quarter to quarter. So, I, it is exciting, but it's just like this is. <laughs> it it reminds me of college basketball. I mean, yeah. shit, the, the teams are basically young enough to be college teams, right, in both instances. So it has so many similarities, a lot of game breakers. I mean, that jaw dunk was legendary, and it oh, was probably yeah. a charge, but it's all good. Um, but the thing is, he wasn't even playing well, and that just, like, totally, you know, got him going. I think he ended the game with, like, 30 points, but that was, like, at that time, it was, like, his 12th point of the game, which was crazy. Um but anyway, so a lot has happened. Uh, my number one most exciting playoff series, Bucks Bulls, uh, ended up with three straight immediate blowouts. Uh, the Bucks looked like they were playing a different sport than Chicago uh, those last three games, even with Middleton out. Your number one series, Celtics Nets. Uh, <laughs> the Nets did not win a game. Uh, while that was a little bit closer, they got swept out and just dumped in an unceremonious fashion. So. I don't know that we know what exciting basketball is. That's my main takeaway here. Well, the, to my credit, at least, the Nuggets or the Bucks point differential was 14 and a half in that entire series. 
The Celtics was four and a half. So yes, the both ended much faster than we thought they would last week, but and the three games after when we had the podcast, their average margin of victory was like 24. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So (laughs) not ideal. Um, Anyway, nonetheless, so what we thought we'd do round one is, is close to done. I think obviously, like we mentioned, there's two series series still in the balance. They could go any which way. Um, what we thought we'd do, we're going to rank. Uh, so you're going to rank the top eight players, coaches, whatever that you've been most impressed with thus far in the playoffs. And then we're going to go back and forth on that list. I'll give you my list, uh, you know, but we'll focus on what you put together. Then we're going to go to me. I'm going to do the top eight disappointments um, on the, in the playoffs so far. And again, same exercise. So Let's start, you know, we're, we're, we want to be positive. We want to make sure that this is a happy podcast. Let's start on a good note. Let's start with the one, the eight guys that you were uh, most pleasantly surprised by or, you know, most uplifted by their performance um, so far in round one. All right. So we want to start with most surprising. Yeah. And you start with number one and then we'll build from there. So this is All the right. number one most su- impressive player to you. Oh, yeah. Most impressive. Number one on my list, I've got Jalen Brunson. Uh, and okay. Jalen Brunson, I think what's been impressive about him is we've known he's been good for, you know, also he's he's been shown flashes the last couple seasons. This year, he's been a steady kind of force off the bench for Dallas, uh, providing scoring punch and, you know, decent kind of orchestrator of offense. He's not known for his passing. That's fine. He's he. He's known for getting, being able to get a shot off, creating some offense when the offense needs it. I think what he showed in this first round series, a lot of talk about his contract and you know what mm-hmm. Dallas might have to pay him. Like, is this guy going to be a thirty million plus player? He's an unrestricted free agent, uh, and so I know a lot of the conversation is going to be about should he get paid or not. But I just think for a guy who at Villanova, obviously a uh, decorated player, won championships. Uh, was kind of the floor general for that team. But his size and his kind of just general athleticism left a lot to be desired when he was drafted, right? So he didn't go until late. And a lot of those, we see a lot of those guys in college just not make the same level of impact uh, in the NBA. But I think what he showed in this series and the fact that he's becoming this 25 to 30 point guy when you don't have Luka and... You know, Dallas, I mean, Utah's not a great defensive team on the perimeter, but still the fact that they were floundering, they they had no answer for him late in games. I think his stock went up way, way up. Um, so, I, you know, he's been the most impressive to me this entire postseason, given not only his expectations this year, but just coming into the league and what he's become. Yeah, absolutely. So I had, I had um, Jalen Brunson number two on my list. I think when you think when you consider the way this series has gone, and if it in fact, uh, you know the the Mavericks go on to to win the series, it'll be the first of Luca's career, first for Dallas since the 2011 title, which is kind of amazing to believe. It is entirely due to Jalen Brunson. Like Luca did not play the first what three games, came mm-hmm. back in Game Four. They lost on sort of that last second alley oop, but what he did to put them up two one gave them that Game Four cushion, where even though Luca was coming back and it was on the road. Like if they were down two one, which you know very uh, reasonable to expect them to be without their best player, suddenly they go down three one and they got to win three straight. Even having Luca back, that's going to be a challenge, right? So 
what he did in game uh, game three with the 41 or game two with the 41 and then another big game in game three, like putting the team on his back. The team had not shot the ball entirely well outside of him. So it wasn't like they were lighting the world on fire and everybody else was blowing up. It was really a testament to like, okay, this dude is going to kind of take it. So I mean, he's averaging 29, five and five, right? On 48% shooting from the field. I mean, he's not shooting the three ball great, but just that constant attacking. He's lucky though, that the turnstile defense that the jazz have on the perimeter is the exact style to make it work for him. Like last year, he went through hell on earth dealing with the Clippers length, uh, had a disastrous playoffs, ended up losing minutes. If you remember to Trey Burke down the stretch, Mm -hmm. that's how bad things got. So happy for him. It's an advantageous situation. If they do end up advancing, I'll be very curious to see how he does against Phoenix, another team with a lot of length outside of Chris Paul. Yeah, and Brunson's not one of those players I think is, you know, not solvable. He's easily solvable, right? And I think he benefited a lot from Utah not being able to stop him. At the same time, though, I think given where you got his ceiling could be, he's wildly exceeded that, at least for one series. So. Now he's looking at a hundred million dollar contract, right? Like Insane. that's the sh- that's the kind of shit. This this is what this is the the Jerome James special. I mean, he's better than <laughs> Jerome James, but the let me be a baller for three weeks and then and then really get paid. But like you said, he's been good all season. I mean, there it is not easy to play off Luke. I think we underestimate yeah. how difficult that process is, and like any of these ball dominant guards, like we saw it. With Houston, right? Chris Paul was amazing next to James Harden, but they butted heads for a lot of reasons that people butt heads with guys that have the ball in their hands all this time. And so he's figured it out. I think Dallas has got to keep him. You know, I know Detroit and some other teams, the Knicks want to pursue, but if you're Dallas, I don't know how you're going to get a guy who's this comfortable in that role and productive. I think so too. But I mean, he's unrestricted, right? He's unrestricted, yeah, because he's a second round pick. Um, So. Rick Brunson's son. You remember Rick Brunson? Yeah, I remember Rick Brunson. I I remember him in like NBA Live 99 playing with the New York Knicks. I had the demo, I think, where it's only the Knicks and Spurs. NBA Uh, Live 2000. And I just remember he could his free throw percentage. He was such a bad free throw shooter in that game because I think he shot 23% from the line one year. Um, that's that's a stat pool. My God, I don't know why I remember that. I, I distinctly remember Rick Brunson being twenty three percent. I consider myself somewhat of a stat head, but my God, that is impressive. Um, I, I need to look it up and see if that's actually true. But yeah, um, all right, Jalen Brunson. So he was number two. So I'm gonna say that yes, that's a check. I have him as well. Who's your number two? My number. Okay, tw- he was a twenty eight percent free throw shooter one year. Um, I just looked it up. That's still even Nick Claxton's like, bro, get it together. <laughs> My number two is Jason Tatum. My number one, okay. And Tatum, look, what more is there to say about Tatum? I think he's getting all the love and all the credit. I, I think with him, where we needed to see his game, we've always seen the scoring potential. Uh, clearly, the defensive lockup, one-on-one kind of defense he can play now, like. With, with some of these wing defenders, you always wonder how much is of his scheme, and obviously he benefits from all the defenders around him. But you look at the stats with him one-on-one with Durant, how he's able to lock it up, how he's able to just buy time you know, for the help defense to come, or the little things that I think you know, only with a couple of years' experience in the league do you start to, to really develop. And he's become that defender, and then he's become the, the able passer and a guy who his most critical flaw in his offensive game has been settling 
for for long twos, deep threes. And that has been Boston's problem. It becomes the Jalen and uh, Jason show where they, they're just taking turns back and forth with the occasional Marcus Smart three. And I, I give Adoka a lot of credit for that because all of them have become better about being yeah. patient, waiting for that last second pass to open up. Uh, and, and Tatum is probably the person I've seen the most improvement in that in that area. So, you know, the scoring numbers, they're gaudy, all that, you know, the game winner. But I think the passing, the defense, just becoming a complete player to the point where, you know, now people are saying, is he a top? He's definitely top 10, but top yeah. seven, top eight. I don't know. Dude, it is an unbelievable, I mean, ascent. And we talked about this last week. All of this was this season, right? Like Jason Tatum has been an all-star before. He's been in the all-NBA conversation. He was an Olympian. So nobody doubted the talent. They doubted the consistency. And they doubted, to your point, like, what do you do when it gets tight and when it gets tough? And he's figured out how to solve every kind of defense now. He's too big, right? He, He can get his shot over one. He's entered kind of Kevin Durant range in terms of, like, just like the shot clarity for him, right? Because he's he's elevates and he, he's a six nine six ten wing, um, and then the defense, dude. Like the defense is outrageous. Like what he was doing against Kevin Durant this series, I mean, I don't know the last time we saw that dominant of a two way play. And yes, he had a lot of help, right? Boston's had like the cavalry coming towards Durant and Kyrie on every single possession, but like a lot of it was predicated on him being the point man guarding guarding Durant and. You pointed to the playmaking. They just play a way more fluid game than they had earlier in this year and earlier in past iterations of this team. You look at the Chris Middleton injury, and I know we're not looking ahead quite yet, uh, <laughs> but damn, is this is this Boston's year? I mean, you know, they have it all, and it start. And the biggest thing that was always a question is: Is Tatum good enough to be the one number one on a title team? I think the answer has got to be yes right now, even if he doesn't win it this year or anything like that. But because he's showing that versatility and he's showing that he can solve defenses in ways that he couldn't before. So super impressed by him. I think, like you said, he is definitely a top 10 player in the league. Probably, you know, I had him first team all NBA probably, you know, if I had to rank them going into next year, he's six for me, six or seven, you know, that, I mean, I don't know, like Jokic, Luka, Giannis, Kawhi. I don't know. Do we just, well, I don't know about, you don't know after injury. We don't know, but like, it's like him, Durant, LeBron, Steph, that's the yeah. next four. And you could have him first out of those four, honestly, if you wanted. True. So, okay. Which is crazy to say, uh, but yeah, Tatum has been a revelation. I'm so impressed with him. Um, he seems like a good dude. And I hope that he convinces the Celtics to sign and trade Jalen Brown for his boy, Bradley Beal. So we can move on from that <laughs> impending disaster of max contract. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, first Wizards reference 15 minutes into the pod. Yeah, I was like, I haven't thought about Bradley Beal in I don't know how long. Like, his, his yeah, name hasn't even crossed my mind until you brought him up. Yeah, I wish that was the case for me as well. <laughs> um, I'm thinking about Jahan Dotson right now, actually. Oh, God. 5'10 receiver about to get just smoked at the line of scrimmage every play. So, um, Kerry McLaurin and Dotson, they're both small, right? Yeah. I mean, McLaurin is, plays big, but he's not a big receiver. They, they were, like, dying to take, uh, what's his name, Drake London from yeah. USC. He went super early. He too. went super yeah. high. I think he went eight, right? 
Yeah. Right. Eight to Atlanta. And then Garrett Wilson went 10. And so I think they were going to take Wilson if he fell, but Wilson wasn't going to get past the Jets. Um, yep. And so then you had a situation where they preferred, I would have taken Jameson Williams, just let him sit for a little bit because he's going to be a stud. They yep. ended up trading down. And so that's that. By the way, since I started watching, the Jazz have blown like a 12 point lead and now they're losing. <laughs> and I think this is going to be it for Classic. Them. Um, uh, anyway, okay, number three on your list. So we're three. To- top two were the same. This is where yeah. it gets fun now. Herb Jones. Ooh. Is it herb like oregano? Is herb. it herb? I, I don't know why I said herb. I, I read it on my list. <laughs> I mean, and I was... Like the little rosemary or herb, something? I don't herb know. Jones. Herb Jones. Herb Herb Crusty Look, Jones. You, you know you know what I love about Herb Jones? He's a classic guy where you know there are always these guys who all of a sudden NBA everyone on Twitter, NBA Twitter, everyone in the blogosphere is yep. like what did I tell you about Herb Jones? Like this guy, like if you know anything about him, he's been doing this all year. He's been locking up guys. And, you know, even our guy, Bill Simmons, when Bill Simmons is claiming he was talking about Herb Jones in November, then look, he is not like some, you know, some newly discovered gem, right? Yeah. Uh, So it's just funny how everyone, like the discourse is like, oh, you know, now you get to see what Herb Jones is all about. No one's talked about him all year. Uh, he's been getting a lot of love, but regardless, he's been super impressive. Uh, you know, we can talk about his defense all you want. I just love the moxie. You, we see the clips kind of Chris Paul trying to pick him up off the floor, rejecting it. I love those kinds of players. I love that kind of attitude. And this Pelicans team, man, like they've got a bunch of offensive players. They've got a bunch of kind of more finesse type, you know, uh, scoring type players on their team. He brings them a little edge, uh, and yes. I think that is what they've needed against a Phoenix team that is superior, vastly out, you know, uh, more talented than they are. And so, yeah, I'm going to give some love for Herb Jones. Herb Jones is a great selection. He was not on my list. The Pelicans faded a bit in games five and six yeah, and are I mean, now come out. On, this is Phoenix. It is Phoenix. Um, they they they. Put up a fight in game five. Game six with Booker back is just a little too much. Though that game was close too. They only lost by six points. But yeah, Herb Jones is a beast, dude. I think, look, I mentioned this last week. I can't get over how fun this Pelicans team is to watch. Unfortunately, a lot of those jumpers that were going in in the first four games of the series started clanging between McCollum and, and Ingram. Um, And, you know, the other thing is I was listening to the Rosillo podcast this week with Antonio Daniels, who's the, you know, the former point guard, but also the play by the color guy for the, uh, the, the Pelicans. Yep. He said he would be shocked. Um, he said nothing would surprise him more than Zion not being on that team next year, which tells me it's fine. He's just frustrated because of the injury and let's assume like he gets back to health. I'm telling you, man, if he's anything close to what we assume, with a guy like Herb Jones kind of being the glue guy, with some other dudes coming off the bench, like that's all depth now, right? Like what you're asking. They played yep. three damn rookies in this series, a lot of minutes. Jones, Trey Murphy, and, and Jose Alvarado. Suddenly that becomes like the formation of your bench mob, and it becomes pretty exciting. So I love what he's doing. I mean, 35th pick or something. Like I just never understand how this stuff happens when he's that kind of athlete. Uh, it's not like he played some mid-major. He's playing in the SEC. I don't know how those kinds of athletes slip that far. Um, yeah, it's – but at the same time, you see guys like him go way too high with no offensive game, no polish, and then all of a sudden the athleticism and that defense that they saw you saw in college doesn't translate to the NBA. 
Yeah, that's true. That's I see true. it both ways, right? So it, yeah. it's very easy to be like, how come none of these wings ever get like taken when they're the perfect wing for the NBA? Uh, you know, they play defense, can shoot a little bit. Yep. But all right, anyways, that's my third pick. Yep. And you're surprised I gave the Pelicans love. You won't guess why. No, I I, I should have had I should have had uh, Herb on the list, um, <laughs> but I didn't. You know who I did have number three though? Who? His counterpart, Mikael Bridges. Oh. Um, okay. Mikael Bridges, in a way, single handedly turned this series around. His game five performance, where he played 47 minutes, he had 31 points. Absolutely shut down McCollum and Ingram, whoever he was chosen to guard, and he did the same thing tonight. His one-on-one defense, his length, his activity, um, his ability to fight over screens, and then the fact that he can provide an offensive punch when he's asked to, especially with Booker missing two and a half games, was really crucial for a Suns team that Chris Paul looks like he needed an IV on the court halfway through game five, and so they had to have someone else step up behind him and Aiton. Bridges answered the call without even sacrificing an inch on defense. So, mm-hmm. anyway, that's, that's a good one. It's your, I, list, what I li- it's your list. What I liked, I, didn't, I don't have Mikel Bridges on my list. I well, agree with everything him. you said. I liked the offensive seat. Like, the question for me with Bridges has always been about okay, you're going to pay this guy that much money. Yes, he brings a lot of value in defense. Can he up his offensive game, you know, to not just be a 15 point per game supplement scorer? And obviously, in this offense, given all the other talent they have, that's his main role. But seeing that that, like you said, carrying the team in, in a must-win game and scoring thirty-one in that in game was that game five. Yeah, um, that's what you want to see from him, especially when you you've handed him this massive contract. So, really promising. So I, I like that pick. I don't have him. My fourth is Willie Green. So I'm Ooh. sticking with the Pelicans. <laughs> And wow. I picked Willie Green because I what I see in the Pelicans is a little bit of the Kings, a, a franchise that's gets mis or kind of gets um, criticized ahead of their heavily. skis a little bit, right? Okay, yeah, ahead of their skis, and then they make a lot of short term win now moves. Uh, look, the Pelicans were made a lot of fun was made of, of David Griffin and, and some of the and, and look, he made some, some terrible transactions over the last couple of years, but. People are saying, why are they going after an old CJ McCollum? Why is Zion going to want to stay? And I think what has happened with this team, not only have they overachieved in the regular season or turned around their season, they played competitive enough basketball against Phoenix. And it's one thing to go into the Phoenix series and get boat raced. But when you play a competitive series, that becomes a lot more appealing to the long-term outlook for that franchise. We see this all the time. We see a, a young Suns team go and be feisty in the bubble. We see the Memphis team yet last year take a game off of Utah, you know, and and so I think it matters that they won a couple of games. They they play with this frenetic energy. Uh, the passing, you know, this is a team that used to be full of ISO scorers. They're actually a very good passing team. Uh, I think they're like second mm-hmm. in assists this playoffs. So, I, and I think that this is all important because you need to convince Zion and give him a reason to stay. And just like you said, who knows if it's true, but people who are plugged in thinks that this is a good sign, right? That Zion is going to actually stay with this team. So I think he yeah. has been impressive, and it's mattered a lot that this team has played this well because if you keep Zion, your ceiling all of a sudden is through the roof. 
I mean, what more. a turnaround from the Stan Van Gundy experience where everyone was ready yep. to jump ship like five games in, right? Like another thing that came out of that Antonio Daniels interview, he's like, when they were three and 16, there was still like a lot of laughter in the shoot arounds, camaraderie, loud music. People were dapping each other up. Like there was this clear indication that we're not going to be like downtrodden from this record. We have something building. The only question that I think is going to be really important, like you mentioned, the passing, right? Brandon Ingram is a facilitator. CJ McCollum, even Jonas Valanciunas is a good passer out of the post. Zion soaks up a lot of those possessions, mm-hmm. and he played a lot of point guard last year, something that by all accounts did not necessarily fit with the way Brandon Ingram wanted to play. And so if you have a healthy Zion and a healthy Ingram, and they're both intending to stay and you have to pick one, obviously you pick Zion, but that's not the way this is set up. I'm curious because Ingram was much more effective on ball, running a lot of those pick and rolls himself. What's going to happen when he doesn't have that much uh, of the ball in his hands next year? Something to answer next year. It's an, you know, it's a good, it's a good problem to have, but I am curious because Ingram is too good to play the role that he plays when Zion's on the floor or even back to his Lakers days, the, the role he played when LeBron was on the floor that first year. And we, we've learned that about Ingram. And so does he need his own team that is allows him to be a little bit more? May I suggest an Ingram for Bradley Beal trade? Oh, my God. Beal's uh, already mentioned, to, been mentioned twice on this pod now. Every player on your surprise list is a potential for a Bradley <laughs> so, Beal deal. Um, I mean, that's not – I haven't even thought through that. But but you know I what agree. I mean though because I think Ingram and they just he just needs the ball a little bit more and CJ because he can be a spot up shooter is a more natural fit they they do get roasted on defense a little a little bit with those two but you throw in Zion another guy who needs the ball it could get complicated but nonetheless Willie Green fantastic job keeping the you know keeping the ship upright or keeping the boat something upright the building <laughs> they uh, yeah this is easily like you said a situation in which who knows thirty games into next year. They can't figure out the Zion Ingram thing. Ingram's pissed. Zion's not happy. They're losing games. And then you have to blow it up. We don't know. Yep. But I think for now, you keep both and you you figure it out. Yep. Uh, okay. Do I go to my next? Yeah. Keep rolling through. This is, this is number five. Devin Booker. Okay. <laughs> he didn't play he's after the series, but no. Yeah. But here's, here's why he's been impressive. Because the moment his Devin Booker game, stepped his off suit that suit game floor, was better than Ben Simmons' suit game. The that that actually was his suit game was nice. The moment Devin Booker stepped off the floor on the, during the series, all of a sudden Phoenix looked mortal. Even with the steady hand of Chris Paul, even with Mikel Bridges, even with DeAndre Ayton, even with a slew of veterans like Jay Crowder, like this is a deep team. This is a team that we talked about as being you know, not just great in the regular season, but elite. And I think the fact that Booker, look, he got a lot of MVP buzz this year. I th- He's been playing well, but I really want to give him a shout out simply because I did not foresee him being this valuable to that Phoenix offense, given how many scores they have, given that it's not like he's some defensive lockdown player on that side of the ball that that makes a huge difference. Yeah. And I, and I think he just... This team still is going to go as far as he does. And so I'm giving him a nod on my list, even though we all know he's a stud. He's incredible, dude. He has been, he's always had this kind of natural scoring ability, but it, 
and it's always looked easy, right? The man put up 70 in a game, uh, but it was always done outside the flow of the offense, right? They they got their ass beat that game, for, for example. He's just too good. He's unstoppable, and it's all within the context of what the Suns are trying to do offensively. Like the game he yeah. got hurt, game two, didn't he have like 31 in the first half? Yeah. He was lighting and up. And it was easy. It was literally like Kevin Durant level easy on some of these jumpers. And it's flawless offense. I mean – I was shocked. I thought his timeline was actually going to be like middle of round two, if not end of round two. Uh, Suddenly he comes back for game six. He looks a little rusty, but it was actually great to have him out there. Almost like a tune-up game that they were lucky to win. So you don't force the game seven on him. You know, now he's got a couple of days to rest up and that series probably kicks off Sunday between assuming Dallas hangs on between them and the, and the, and the Suns. So love Devin Booker. Uh, He didn't play enough for my list, but yeah. Like like him a lot, yeah. But, but part of my thing is him not being on the floor showed me the value. So oh yeah yeah. There's no rhyme and reason to this list. I'm just going over the yeah. It's off the, the cuff. It's whatever you off want. Off the cuff. All right, next. Dorian. So this Finney is what Smith. number six. Six. No. Okay. Dorian Finney Smith. Ooh, like that. Now the one. Re- this is more of a personal pick. I. I'd always heard about his defense a little bit. I never knew he was, he's emerged as kind of a really critical, valuable wing defender for that Dallas team. And obviously their entire defense got better with Jason Kidd. And just from a schematic standpoint, they're much more disciplined in the way they rotate and the way they double. But all that aside, I just think he's so talented as a defender. And I never thought of him as uh, that valuable of a piece for that Mavericks franchise, but I think he's really emerged as an all all defense type guy. Um, and I think that's important because given the rest of the, a lot of the players that they have on their team, Luca, if you sign Brunson and uh, they don't have a lot of that perimeter defense. And so I was just really impressed with how he's played against Utah this se- this series. Obviously I'm watching more Mavericks than I would in the regular season. And it stood out to me just his length, how he can bother any offensive player. Um, and, you know, he leaves a lot to be desired on offense, but I thought he deserved it not. He is asked to do so much for that defense. Um, they don't have a traditional rim protector uh, after they, you know, traded Christoph Porzingis. A lot of times they don't even play a center. Sometimes he is the center. Um, yeah. Between him and Luca, they're asked to kind of man the glass. Uh, then he has to chase around the best perimeter defend, uh, offensive option all game long. And this isn't like Phoenix where Mikel Bridges has a bunch of, you know, all world defenders around him and Jay Crowder, DeAndre Ayton, Chris Paul, even Devin. Like he's, he is, I mean, these are not traditionally good defenders on Dallas beyond him and maybe Reggie Bullock sometimes. So incredible. And the, the contract they have it on, it's such a joke. It's like 13 million a year. He's like, you know, trade value wise, like maybe one of the most valuable assets in the league. Can oh, knock yeah. down threes above forty percent. Like this guy's a stud. He's an absolute stud. He actually committed. Um, he actually played a year at Virginia Tech. A lot of people don't recognize that. Um, he did play a year at Virginia Tech and then he transferred, uh, which was unfortunate. But we do claim him as one of our own. I had so, no idea. <laughs> I'd like to put that out there into the universe. Okay. All right, so you don't have him on your list either, I'm guessing. 
I don't, but I should okay. know. So, I have yeah. Jason Kidd. Uh, and okay. it's a lot of the same. It's kind of like the, the shared purpose award. It's the defensive scheme and the buy-in that he's gotten from Dallas. Of course, it starts with Dorian Finney-Smith. Buy-in that he's gotten from Dallas, uh, the entire team. It's a work of art, honestly. Um, so I got Kidd on my list. Totally agree. And it's and what I think is important to say about Kidd is it was there in the regular season, but it's only amplified in the postseason, right? This isn't just yep. them coasting on on easy teams or catching teams on the second night of a back-to-back and then bumping up their numbers. It, this is legit. Yeah. Um, all right. Number seven. I don't like saying this, but I've got, I've got Jordan Poole. Oof. Yeah. And this is not this is actually independent of what he did in the regular season because a guy like Jordan Poole, you can talk about his numbers, should he have been most improved, which he was robbed of. But he comes into the postseason. Granted, the Nuggets are not a great team. And granted, they don't have the kind of defense to slow down this Warriors offense. But to start, to play that starting role and to give the Warriors the benefit of bringing Steph off the bench for as long as they did, that's invaluable. That's invaluable in the fact that their offense did not miss a beat. And they were pretty much just clicking um, and then obviously now you've got that whatever they try to call their super depth lineup. The pool, pool party? Huh? Pool party? The pool party? Yeah, whatever you want to call it, right? Like that lineup's been talked about a lot, but now it's the postseason and seeing that lineup in action, it's just something that's going to clearly work and, and they, they're going to use in crunch time against in the second round, in the finals, if they get there. I just think that he's shown he's not just a regular season kind of pad the stats guy, but this is carrying over to the postseason. And that's going to go a long way for this Warriors team, especially as they balance the minutes of, of Clay and Steph. And um, yeah, so. Yeah, Jordan Poole, I already shared my frustration with the fact that they have him last week. Um, one question. There's a lot of people talking about 3G as a potential name. I, I, am I missing something? I don't understand what that means, 3G, as it relates to a nickname for their death lineup. Three Golden State Warriors? <laughs> I don't know. Like, where, um, who, who's, how are they? 3Gs is the rent price they all have to pay for a small one-bedroom in SF. <laughs> Dude, the funny thing is that's that's, that's low. Yeah, that's that's low. That would be a steal. You should sign up right away. Um, Yeah, I think Poole, I did not have him on my list. He was close, but the reason I took him off is because they had to bench him last night uh, for most of the game because he was getting eviscerated on defense. And so he still has some work to do to clean that up to become a crunch time player. They were just hunting him. Um, And once he went out of the game, they couldn't really target anyone because you can't really target Steph. He's actually a pretty good defender, pretty stout. And now he's like jacked, apparently. So you can't really push him around. So Poole was the guy that they were they were hunting. So I think he's awesome, though. I mean, he's he's going to be a star. And like we talked about last week, it's very frustrating that they can pay him after Wiggins contract expires. So they're going to keep this one rolling. Yep. All right. Um and then you're last guy on your list, and then I'll go over mine quickly. <laughs> I didn't realize I had three Pelicans on here for a team that's lost in six in the first round. But I put CJ McCollum. Ingram. CJ, not Ingram. Okay. No, I think CJ, and you could argue CJ hasn't done anything different than what he's done in Portland. The numbers-wise, not a great defender. Can get you a shot sometimes, can also go cold down the stretch. Yeah. Stretch. Uh, 
at the same time, I just think that his value to that Pelicans team and watching him, what he's doing and what he could have brought to the Sixers, that was a trade I loved for the Sixers. I thought they should have done Simmons for McCollum. Uh, I think it was on the table. I don't know if it actually was on the table, but that was a rumored kind of possibility for a while. I just think that that's the kind of move. It's the Levine to the Bulls. It's the, or DeRozan to the Bulls. It's the, these older guys who seem like they're on this downward trajectory, but keep playing at a high level. Now, how good is CJ McCollum going to be next year and two years from now? Who knows? But it's these kinds of players that elevate your play just enough to get you to entice other free agents or guys like Zion to stay. So I think in the, the, the bigger scheme of things, what CJ McCollum has done for this team and how well he's played relatively is really important. So I, you can say the stats are the same. He hasn't done anything really different. He's sieve on defense. But I think it's important what he's brought to that team. All I'll say is maybe get to a game seven before half your list is populated by a team that's going home I, and round I just, one. I want the Kings to just take a path like this somehow. I don't know how. They, they tried. They've tried that when they cleared cap space for Rajon Rondo and uh, Wesley Matthews. <laughs> that was the attempt. Yeah, and Rudy Gay. Yeah, right, and Rudy Gay. All right, I like CJ. I would have given it to Ingram if you had one. Maybe you could just make more spots for the Pelicans. Maybe bump some Well, Jose guys. Alvarado is also... Yeah, yeah, honorable mention. Um, all right, fair enough. Okay, we're going to switch to my right, list. Wh- here. Which, which players did I miss from yours? Just r- r- run through those real quick. Okay, so I had Jason Tatum one. We covered that. You had him. Brunson, I had two. You had him. Mikhail Bridges, I had three. Four and five are from the most disrespected team in the entire NBA. A team Miami. that you've gotten on me for disrespecting. Yes. Four is Eric Spolstra. Five is Bam Adebayo. What they did to Trey Young needs to be put in the Smithsonian. <laughs> I mean, that was an abomination. Yeah. Like, I got to go we'll check We'll get to his... Trey Young. <laughs> Yo, he, well, we're going to get to him. I gotta, the only guy higher on, his, on my list than Trey Young is a guy who uh, was wearing pink pants the last game. I'll give you a hint. <laughs> uh, who that is. Um, listen. They played without Kyle Lowry for two of the five games. They played without Jimmy Butler. They straight up load managed Jimmy Butler in a playoff series <laughs> because of how dominant their defense was. Bam Adebayo, all of it runs through him. I mean, he put Trey in jail that whole series, uh, along with, you know, obviously the guards who were great up front, but incredible, incredible performance from Miami. So I have those two, four, and five. Um, six, where's my list? Six, I have. Draymond Green. I, I had again, him actually right on the bubble of my eight. It was either McCollum or Draymond. Once again, showing you just how vital he is, even at this age, he's just everything for him. And although Jokic went for big numbers, he didn't have the individual sort of like dominance because of the way Draymond was playing him, the way they didn't have to help. And like Jokic had the very much kind of series that, it's almost like he didn't play well, but he he entered the LeBron James, like, even if I don't play well, my numbers are absolutely insane territory, yeah. which is where you know a player is elevated to certain greatness. But the whole series, I didn't really think he was impacting winning all that much, and, and Draymond took him a lot of out of a lot of what he likes to do. Seven, Desmond Bain, who I think has been the best player for the Grizzlies this series, absolutely jacked arms looks like this guy does insanity every single day twice on sundays um obsessed with his arms 
And then does he miss threes? Because I haven't seen it this series. Like, I feel he like every time he shoots, down. it goes in. <laughs> and yeah, really... he's knocked down, perfect form. Like, and he, and he can get to the rim. He's not a one-dimensional player. I love what he's brought. Um, and then number eight, I had Jason Kidd, like I mentioned. Okay, cool. So, so now, any any comments, thoughts on on? I, the, I like those. Jamon was on my was on the bubble. Uh, the Heat disrespect, you know, Spolstra. I agree. I don't want to get too excited about it because Atlanta is Atlanta looked a little fraudulent there at the end. They look fraudulent, and so we'll Remember see. Remember when we'll I see said what that the they Heat would be able to compete, and Trey Young was gonna? I gotta. Let me, as we get ready for the next part, which is the disappointments, let me just pull up Trey Young's series stats because. Oh, get it ready. I know he's on your list somewhere. Oh, he's, he's got to be okay. on the top eight. Number one on my list Ben Simmons. Just a. <laughs> I'm just. I don't even know what to say. I, I, I really feel like I want to channel Stephen A. Stephen A. This was the week that he was put on this earth for. Um, just able to destroy, just tee off on all of the nets uh, at once in unison. Just, But Ben Simmons, everything from the absurd outs, outfits on the sidelines, the constant targeting of the next game to play, the I don't want to be going into a game down 3-0 to must win, my back hurts again, and then not even showing up for game four. He really completed it all. The grand slam of just being the worst possible teammate um, in every shape and form. And it it brought up some broader points, which is I'm pretty sure the clutch totally lied and misled Brooklyn on this deal to the point that I don't know if they hid medicals or whatever else, but they just needed to get him out of Philly. I don't think he had any intention to play this season. Uh, And the fact that he's still filing a grievance – I mean, we can talk mental health, et cetera. I don't think, I mean, whether he's going through stuff or not, I'm sure there is a component of that, but the just lack of accountability, the lack of responsibility as a teammate, as, as an NBA player, it's, it's embarrassing. And it's something that I think almost isn't being talked about enough and will absolutely be a part of the next CBA to avoid situations like this. I'm disgusted by what he pulled off this whole season culminating in that playoff performance. Echo everything you said. It's look, we we want to give these guys the benefit of the doubt. We want to understand look, there probably are mental hurdles totally. he's, he's dealing with, right? Totally. For sure. But the way this whole thing's handled, I mean, I think the it all came to a head for me, especially when it was I had a feeling. We all had a feeling it was gonna happen. Backs out of game four, and it's the back injury. It flares up then he needs to over explain it or bring the mental piece into it. So then he says the mental, uh, you know, kind of issues he's dealing with triggered the back injury. And so now he's taken the, the both excuses combined it, and it's like, wait, no, everything I've said is consistent. You know, I'm, it's still a mental thing. It's still my back. And it's just been a PR disaster. Like I, I was also wanted to put rich Paul on this list for just how he's handled the situation because I mean, he is Ben Simmons agent and, Clearly, everything Simmons is putting out there is vetted, right? It's the agent that's speaking and putting this information out there. They're rep- trying to represent him. And somehow he's come across in the worst light every step of the way. And like you said, something as simple as just dressing up in those pants and outfit, 
look, I don't. You can dress however you want. You can wear whatever you want, but just count on your outfit. But like the fact that it's just, if you're just thinking about this from a PR perspective, you want to be as muted as you can be, and lower expectations as much as you can. This whole thing of ramping up to Game Four ended up being a colossal disaster. So you're right. The CBA implications are going to be huge. Uh, Zach Lowe's already talked, yeah, about that pay for play concept, and that is. If that is what the owners are going to try to fight for, that is going to be contentious, and we could be headed for another lockout because there's no way the players' union signs off on that. And let's remember, we've got to the point. Yeah, let's remember, this did not start in the playoffs. It did not start from the Nets. He didn't want to show up because he got his feelings hurt about what Doc and uh, Joel Embiid said last year, right? But yet, he did not even bring up mental health once until the money was being withheld. Until the Sixers called his bluff, then he said it. They still did it because he wouldn't see the licensed team doctor, whatever else. He shows up at practice. He's got a phone in his pocket. He gets kicked out, sent home. (laughs) Somehow they pull off this coup to trade for James Harden, which who we'll get to as well on this list. Um, Somehow Seth Curry is the best player in that trade. Uh, I don't think that anybody saw that coming, but nonetheless. (laughs) And we have a situation where it's like, dude, what? how are we supposed to believe anything that you're saying? Because... Every move is orchestrated, and it's clearly all done retroactively. It's like damage control for the previous thing that was done for damage control purposes. And, you know, I don't know if this dude ever wants to play basketball again. He says he does, but, like, he's created a firestorm, like, unlike anything we've seen, such that they should have just shut him down. Because next year, the preseason is going to be a show. It's going to be oh, like, yeah. let's bring ESPN first take on site. Like, that's what it's going to be because you have the Nets who, who God knows what they're going to look like next year. Maybe it's the exact same team. Maybe it's totally different. But then you got him even playing five minutes in a game. And it's like he's almost if he had mental block before. Oh, man. Like after everything that just happened, it's going to, I think, be even 10 times as much attention. Um, you should have just played in that game and you were, you were, they were going to lose anyway. It doesn't matter. It- it's only going to get worse. I don't. It's think, only going to get worse. Yeah. And they're going to keep putting it off. He's not going to play the preseason. So then what? No, yeah. you bring him back in the regular season. It's like it's just. Dude, he quit on LSU. He quit on the Sixers. He refused to show up for the Australian national team. They all like are like pissed at him because Australia has a great basketball yep. tradition. They wanted to bring him into the family. Joe Ingles has talked about it. Patty Mills has talked about it. Andrew Bogut has talked about it. And he's done the same thing with the Nets. So this dude, I've said, how many years have I said this for? He cares about the lifestyle. He doesn't care about the game. If you cared about the game, you would have gotten even an ounce better as a basketball player from the time you walked in as a rookie to now. And we can talk about the Hawks series all we want. The Hawks series was just symbolic of what we've seen from Ben Simmons over and over. Um, You know, I have receipts talking about how excited I was about this guy. I really thought he was like a LeBron 2.0 when he came into the NBA. I just didn't realize that he was allergic to practice and improvement. So... (laughs) I, I don't even know what to say. I'm like sick to my stomach just thinking about Ben Simmons. Yeah. Well. Anyway. Let's move Get on ready before. for another summer full of Ben Simmons discourse. Because as if we oh, haven't had coming. enough of that all year. Well, so. people are talking about, is he going to be on the Nets next year? It's like, what are you going to trade him for? Like I mean, Bradley Beal? Yeah. Like, I don't, is... I mean, should we do a Beal for Simmons deal? <laughs> Here we go. There's number three. It took a while. <laughs> If they give us Simmons and two firsts for Beal, I would do it. Yeah, I mean, why not? Why not? Seriously? They're swapping All contracts, right. and then you get two firsts out of it. 
Not like number, <laughs> number two, and it takes a special performance to boot yeah. anyone from Brooklyn out of the number two spot. But Trey Young has done it. Um, wow, his numbers somehow look better than what they actually were watching the game. He averaged fifteen, six, and five. 32% from the field, 18% from three, um, 31 turnovers, 22 made baskets. Um, this was after they made the conference finals somewhat fortuitously. You know, they deserve credit, but let's be honest. Aforementioned Ben Simmons did have like a collapse during that series. Then after one playoff run, they say that they're bored of the regular season this year, barely sneak in through the nine seed into the play-in tournament and, the Heat put them in their place, and it was ugly from the jump. He's got a lot to go think about, uh, and everything he tried went poorly. By the end of Game Five, he looked scared to shoot the ball. Uh, that was a sea ghost, Sam Darnold sea ghost moment, I think, for Trey Young out there. Trey Young, in some ways, the victim of his own success because last year's postseason run immediately kind of shut off the shut up the doubters including us right um at some point have doubted him as a is he a good stats bad team guy and it elicited the inevitable stuff comparisons right and when i say stuff comparisons in the sense that this guy can is a generational kind of shooter offensive talent and that'll be good enough to carry you as you know the, the best player in a team we've learned that's not the case he's He's a good passer, but he doesn't have the same kind of um, ability. He, he can, we saw what the Heat did to him and kind of, he can get bottled up a lot more easily. And that Atlanta team, to be fair, is devoid of, of good kind of that top tier sec, second playmaker score talent. That being said, I, he is number three on my list. Uh, I just think Ooh. that because we got him, got so high on him, it's been extremely disappointing seeing how he hey, showed I mean, up look, he's an all NBA guy. He's a starter in the all star game. And he's coming off a conference finals. Like what people were saying, he has to be second high. team. People were saying, yeah, so how is he number NBA. two? How could he fall lower than number two? He was the worst player that played in the playoffs. He didn't have, I think he maybe had one. Okay. Game and four horrendous games. The, the reason you give him the benefit of the doubt is because you say Atlanta's not great. And Miami is just they've gone under the radar all season. This is a very good defensive team, very good defenders from one through five who can give you trouble, who are all physical, can push you off your spot. And but at the same time, you can't score sub 10 points as right. He scored what eight points in one game? What's another? I think he scored, scored sub 10 multiple times. At least twice, maybe a third time. 31 turnovers, 22 made baskets. Yeah, Six assists happen. per game after averaging nearly 10 in the regular season. So, I don't know. Oh, okay, yeah, he's, three, he's three on my list. He's number two on your list. It's the same thing. Number three, Kyrie Irving. Um, 39 in game one. God mode, right? Was outrageous in game one. We talked about Durant being the real reason, and that was the turning point, right? This series reminded me, and I wish I made this point earlier, either last week or even when we were previewing it, it reminded me so much of Milwaukee-Miami for the last two years, where Miami embarrassed Milwaukee, 
Milwaukee comes back, wins a very close game one, if you remember in overtime, and then just oh, steamrolls yeah. them the rest of the series. That's exactly what this series was. Game one, Kyrie was good. The rest of the three games, get out of here. This is the guy that, like I mentioned last week, top five talents sometimes, not all the time, only when he chooses. He was a mess, and he did not look interested in playing. His quotes were as like bizarre as ever. And, you know, his stats, like, for example, he may have ended up looking okay because he only played four games of which one of them he was awesome. But he, he uh, I think Bill Simmons put out that uh, that tweet that was like the stats of Kyrie since he left LeBron. And it was basically he's played in 22 out of 44 playoff games. And he's like 23, 5 and 5 with like paltry shooting and two series wins. Yeah. Uh, so nothing that remotely resembles the superstar that he's talked about. This is just an, yet another example of a guy who just doesn't necessarily, you know, have that night to night brilliance that I think you need from, you know, somebody who's allegedly a number two on a title team and has been a number two on a title team. Granted it was with, you know, the second greatest player ever. So that changes things, but um, yeah, Kyrie is my number three. I have him number four. Okay. And Kyrie, what's disappointing is that all this series was really close in the sense that every game, you know, I think Nick Wright had a tweet about this. Um, Brooklyn was either leading, tied, or down by five, at most five. In, in the last five minutes of every single one of these games. Yeah. They were never blown out. What did you say the point differential was? Like 4.3 or something? It was, yeah, 4.4 in the series. Yeah. They so were they, they were never blown out. to make shots. Yeah. And, and I, what I said even going into the series is like, if the game gets tight, you've got Katie, you've got Kyrie. We have criticized Kyrie for years now for everything. Playmaking, defense. Lack of just caring. But one thing we've never criticized for him is his late game shot creation and heroics. Game one, all on display. Game two, disappears. Fine. Will he come back in game three at home? No. Game four, will he bring it back at home? No. Three games, no show. And just a general apathy on the court. Like, And I was being very kind to him on this pod by saying maybe he's it's the fasting and he's you know, maybe it is, but we've seen this from him year after year. Exactly. But I also think this is just a pattern and it's a disturbing pattern. And everyone wants, you know, the fact that he gets so much credit in that Cleveland series with LeBron. Now I look back at it and I'm like, look, he needed someone like LeBron to just like, there was no real pressure on him. Like there is in this series where it's absolutely critical. He plays well and he didn't do it. And I don't know why we expected more of him or I expected more of him. So he's on my fourth on my list. Yeah. I mean, he's managing the franchise, dude. He's wearing multiple hats. Yeah, it's difficult a, yeah, to be a player when you're also the owner, also the general manager. Yeah, yeah. It's tough. It's tough for him. Um, by the way, crazy finish to Dallas, Utah. I don't know if you saw, but uh, I did not. Wide open down two. They had a wide open three Utah to, to win it from Bogdanovich and he missed. So Dallas wow. is officially advancing. All right. Number four on my list, James Harden. In line for a potential five year, 
deal that's going to pay him $60 million in that last year at the age of 38. He had a better game tonight, but he looks like he he looks like he's at LA Fitness and he's the most skilled player at at LA Fitness. That's what I think of when I watch James Harden. I the thing that I don't think people remember because he was playing on one leg in the playoffs last year is just last season when he was in Brooklyn with Durant was out when Kyrie was in and out, he was sensational. Like he was being talked about for the MVP just based off of his Brooklyn tenure. And in a year, you know, he obviously played pretty like, you know, did not play very hard in this first part of the season this year for the Nets, but now he's in his spot. It's the playoffs. They have a real chance to to go to the title and he can't, it looks like he cannot move. Um, (laughs) He's shooting better from two, three than two, which is an indication that he has cannot get his lift at the rim. He's not able to draw fouls the same way that he was early in his career. And although the passing is still amazing, it's a lot less dangerous when you're not threatening guys to blow past them. Uh, and it's kind of like, if the step back three is working, then I'll be good. And if it's not, then I'm kind of useless. Yeah. And so when you have a situation with Tyrese Maxey and him as kind of the only reliable guards, that, I mean, I there's no way, in my opinion, they can beat the Heat without with this version of James Harden. So he's, uh, he's next on my list, even though they have advanced. He's number... Six on my list, so okay, four, four not too far. I he looks it's amazing how different he looks compared to a year ago. I'm not talking about his size, I'm talking about his just movement on the court. I and this is going to be a problem for Philly because, like you said, he can't create his own shot at all, really. And you're going up against Miami. And let's say you beat Miami. Then you go up against Boston, potentially. If not Boston, Milwaukee. I I don't see how this is going to end well for Philadelphia. Because I get that Maxie's been great. Tobias Harris has shown a pulse for the first time ever. So you've got other pieces on offense. And the playmaking Harden gives you is is definitely invaluable. But that they needed, for this team to be a contender, they need him to be shot creation mode James Harden. And once again, that burden is falling on Embiid. And yeah, Maxi and, and Harris a bit, but it's it's too much for a team that wants to make a deep postseason run. Yeah. And I don't I don't know what I don't know, man. I think he's just you know, maybe it's the hamstring injury and with an offseason of getting rested and back in shape, he'll be better. But I think everyone agrees this is a significant decline and it may only continue from here. So I don't know what Philly does in the offseason. That's a separate combo, but yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I don't know. Um, they have a big decision looming and they have no choice but to sign him. How did this trade <laughs> blow up in both teams' faces? I don't know. But hey, Sixers it's... are still playing. So if he gets it together and suddenly they make a run, then they're yeah. not going to look so dumb. But all right, number five, I have Kevin Durant. And we have beaten the Nets story into the ground. But if you are Kevin Durant, as he sometimes likes to remind us directly, you can't have three clunkers in a row when your team needs you. You cannot take 11 shots in a do-or-die game three uh, to go down 3-0 effectively in the series. He had 39 or 37 in game four, but by then it was all over. Uh, And he still missed, by the way, 20 shots in that game. It wasn't like he was scorched earth. He was just shooting every time down the floor. Too little, too late. 
I know he was asked to do a lot, not only in this series, but for the last like two months. Sorry, if this is the bed you uh, you made, you better sleep in it. And a lot of people are talking about his decline. I think that's overblown. Like he was going to be first team all NBA this year if he played enough games. So you could probably pump the brakes on that. But at the same time, that comes with expectations. Like he's had his whole career. He does not get a pass. If you're going to mention him as a top 10 player ever, you don't get a pass for getting swept in round one in your prime. So Durant is on my list at number five. He's number one on my list. Wow. Okay. Did you wait? Did you have Ben Simmons? Yeah, Simmons is number two. Oh, okay, it's number two. Okay, yeah. Our lists have been extremely similar so far. Yeah, wow. I just have Katie at number one. I guess I we're just... less disappointed in like random scrubs, like you know, like uh, someone. Like, I guess like Larry Nance is not going to because your expectations team. aren't that high to begin with. Right, I, right. Though Larry Katie... Nance played well, I don't know why I used him as an example. Yeah, he's Larry actually Nance. on your impressive list, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I actually more. had three more Pelicans before. That. Yeah, we didn't get to him. Um, KD, man, he just and to defend KD, and once again, it was a closer series than it looked. Right, so the sweep, yeah, it looks bad, but they were in all these games. I just think that KD, the whole allure of KD was that he's unsolvable in terms of how you stop him. What can you do? He can shoot over anyone. He can get to his spots. Um, he can shoot from deep. And and the teams that have had success guarding him, you know, you have some size. You force him off his spots. You don't let him get comfortable. The P.J. Tuckers, the Tony Allens. And Boston, as great, of, you know, they've got all the pieces to make him uncomfortable. That being said, there have been games where he's looked passive. There's been games where he hasn't shot that much. If you're Kevin Durant, go out guns blazing. Shoot eight for three. 25, I don't care. But there's this weird passive nature to his game this series that really turned me off. And I think as a guy that we were ready, you know, I gave all the credit in the world last year, MVP conversation this year. We're already talking about him like a top 10 guy. Uh, And to have that kind of a series, I don't care how good you think Boston's defense is. You know, Bill Simmons can compare him to the 85 Bears and all these other historic defensive teams. But come on, you can't have three, like you said, three clunkers in a row uh, in in that kind of situation. You just can't. I know the team sucks, but we see guys of that top 10 caliber all the time succeed despite that, whether it's LeBron, whether it's Kobe, whether it's any of these guys. Durant is absolutely capable and he... He just kind of let, short. yeah, he fell short. And look, he's still an amazing player, but it's just relative to no. where we have him, you know. Let's pile on. No, like, this isn't the this isn't the, the apology tour. He deserves to be yeah. piled on. And to be honest with you, speaking of seeing ghosts, it looks like he was seeing ghosts when he was making some of these passes, when he was mm-hmm. losing the ball on some of these dribbles. Like he thought there was eight defenders out there, frankly. That's how he was playing, and that's how he was trying to direct the offense. And look, dude. He's done this throughout his career where he's had these weird moments of being passive where he's not the I said this last week. Remember, I was like, he is thought of as but he you can't build the team around him in the same way you can build it around a Luca or a LeBron because yep. they can control more of the game in he's not able to do all that. And he's being asked to do things he's good at now. He's great at, in fact, but not transcending that, which is kind of what you needed for a guy from a guy to beat this Boston team. Um, especially with very uneven performance from Kyrie, like we mentioned, and especially with um, 
you know, no Simmons, an injured Curry. I mean, they had issues, right? This was not a team that was built to win. But um, the other thing I should say, this was the closest ever sweep um, from a point differential standpoint. So the Nets could maybe put that in the season ticket package uh, (laughs) next year, which I think will drive some more fan interest. Um, Okay. We've belabored the Nets, but we had to crush them because, like, we're not going to talk about them again until, like, July. Uh, number six, DeMar DeRozan. Wow. Wow. Game two, supernova. Every other game, he looked like he should be in the G League. We've seen this from DeMar. He's got playoff demons unlike almost anybody else in the league in terms of the number of times he's made it to the playoffs and made it far. And the number of bad games he's had within that stretch. It's the reason why Toronto moved on. I mentioned this last week. Again, amazing game two. Thought he could build off of it. The way they were playing defense on him, he wasn't even taking shots. He made Durant look aggressive. Um, he was not shooting. in it Again, last night, back against the wall. No Zach Levine. No Alex Caruso. I think he shot like under 15 times or right around then. It, he just couldn't solve whatever they were doing defensively. He was playing like it was a regular season game in January. And as good of this, as the stories the bulls were all season, this actually leaves kind of a bitter taste in their mouth because there's nowhere really to go. This team is already kind of maxed out and they're not going to get better and they're probably going to get worse next season. So all that to be said, he's on my list. I just didn't like what I saw in almost the entire series from him when they needed him a lot to get generate offense because they weren't getting any looks otherwise. I don't even think about it the way you said right now. You said the Bulls, where are they going to go from here? It's true. It's like this team isn't getting any going to get better. And if this is the best that lo- roster is going to do, um, yeah. Anyways, I don't have him on my list because you said it right at the top. We've seen this before. This is Demar Derozan. This is who he is in the playoffs. He has done this time and time and time again. And guess what? The minute he got jettisoned from Toronto, Kawhi stepped into that same team and won the championship. So I I, I think DeRozan's always had these flaws. And despite how good of a season he's had this year, I never really thought that, you know, I mean, he had one great game, like you said, game two. But I never expected him to be consistent. That game he has, any team like Milwaukee, a solid defensive team, it's going to be hard getting those same looks, those same shots that you get in a regular season night, Tuesday night game against Orlando. You go 40 points off of like 13 mid-range shots. It's not going to work in the playoffs. Yeah. And the Bulls learned that the hard way. And you're right. It's caps the team's kind of potential, especially because he's not getting any younger. This is an old vet. Like This is who he is. Well, that's the thing, right? Vucevic is over 30. DeRozan's over 30. Levine's 27, do a max contract. He's, he's young, kind of but Levine's peak. kind of, unless he he's makes like peak. a Booker-type leap, he seems kind of just... I mean, he's a good player. He's a two-time All-Star. He had some knee troubles that he was battling through. But yeah, I, the Bulls were a great story. And it's I'm curious what next season's like because there's a lot of teams budding, like nipping right at their heels uh, for that sixth spot, whether it's Cleveland, whether it's Brooklyn coming back, right? Whether it's Charlotte. Uh, I, I don't know that the play... Atlanta... The playoffs are not something they can even bank on next year itself. So they have major changes and work ahead. All right. Number seven, Carl Anthony Towns. Just fucking, just, just stop fouling. 
Just please, for the love of God, you and Jaron Jackson, I'm doing this one together. Just stop fouling each other. Just play basketball without fouling. Towns alternates amazing games with just boneheaded mistakes. Sometimes those happen within the same play, sometimes the same quarter. He's a stud offensively. He can't guard anybody, and he doesn't know how to defend without fouling. And his attitude and emotions are so all over the place that half the time that they're up 20, they can be down because he's just like, there's no gravitas to just grabbing the situation saying, I got it. Get on my back. Let's go. We're going home. And they are going to a game six. Like I mentioned at the top down three, two, when they should probably have this series wrapped up. So for an all NBA player, for a guy who we wanted to crown, you mentioned this last week, he's, putting up just historic numbers for a big. I need to see the star turn from him and not just the box score. Uh, so he's number seven. His demeanor has bugged me this this entire series too. Uh, and all the comments, we Jimmy Butler, we've always thought of Jimmy Butler as a problem everywhere he went because he, the fact is he is the problem everywhere he goes. But there's truth to stuff he said and him calling out Towns, uh, Kind of subtly, but still very obviously about Towns. I I see it. I see exactly what he means. And this is a team that Towns is inconsistent at this stage of his career. This is a team primed to beat. Memphis is just begging Minnesota to give this game away. And it's not like Towns has, Towns has had some good games this series. It's not about that. But if you can't stay on the floor, if you can't stop the boneheaded mistakes, like you said, like, that is what will cost you a series in which they could easily be up 3-2 and potentially win this thing and go into the second round. And think about how everyone's going to be talking about this Timberwolves team. But watching this team, all I can think of is just how disappointing Towns has been and limiting kind of what this team could really be. Like, they've got a lot of other issues. D'Angelo Russell, Ant's still young, right? And he's still learning and growing. And they've got some, some death pieces that are questionable. But ultimately, it falls on Towns' shoulders. And I think if you just played more consistent and avoided the fouling, they would have beaten Memphis. And the fact that they're down 3-2 instead, he's seventh on my list as well. Yeah. And look, Edwards is not quite ready for that. He's flashes at times, and he struggles at times. He's a second-year, 20, 21-year-old kid. That's to be expected. They need Towns to be their best player. As much as we want to hand the franchise to Edwards, fine, that'll happen. It just can't happen yet. It has to go through Towns for this team to really be successful in the short term. Um, Okay, number eight. Got Donovan Mitchell. Recently eliminated Donovan Mitchell. He is turning into the kind of player you don't want him to be. And the kind of player did not look like he was on the trajectory to be as recently as the last last season in round one and round two. I one of the things you don't realize about Mitchell is he's only six one. Uh so he's actually pretty small. He does not try on defense. So it's like <laughs> he's got the combination of not the right frame and then no effort on that end. He's not looking to facilitate. He's just looking the gun. And he better be careful he doesn't turn into a you know a hyped up Lou Williams, because that's that's a future for him in the playoffs if he doesn't figure out a way to become a more all-rounded player. And I'm kidding. I'm obviously being a little hard on him, but that's harsh. 
But dude, you look at the two guards in the league that he could be sort of in in the same rarefied air with, with a Devin Booker, with a Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, whoever you want to call the scoring wing, with the Paul George, right? He's behind those guys now. Um, and even like a Brandon Ingram, right, who can affect the game with his playmaking as much as his scoring. Booker's a one-dimensional player, and they figured out a solve for him this series. And he had multiple bad games, including tonight. Couldn't lift them when they had needed buckets. Couldn't get other guys involved and was letting Jalen Brunson just go to town up to, to the tune of being number one on your list of most impressive players. So I got Mitchell there. I don't know where Utah goes from here. We saw the writing on the wall for a long time that this was going to be a round one and out team. It's finally come to fruition. So he's got to take a long, long look at the mirror this offseason. He rounds out my list as well. Uh, wow. It's just, I mean, what more is there to say? He's a guy who two years ago in the bubble, absolute flamethrower. Mm-hmm. And we're thinking of him in a completely different light. It, it, one thing I've always thought about is I'd love if we – if there's some way to track stocks of NBA players, and and not stocks in terms of their stats, right, but the hype and where they're valued and how it changes over the course of their career. And Donovan Mitchell's one of those players who you start to see that I think he's really benefited from. Utah has had a good infrastructure. As much as they're disappointing now, they've had a very good infrastructure for the last four or five years. Um, You know, they've got... Rudy Gobert anchoring a defense. They've got these uh, Bogdanovich and Conley and these guys who can score. But the moment the infrastructure starts to show cracks, you see who your stars really are or if they really are stars. And I think Donovan Mitchell, we've learned, is not the guy who we thought he was. And that's fine. He's still a serviceable player, but we were talking to him as a guy you build around. Um, And now it's like, is he even a – Probably could be a second best player, but he's got significant flaws in his game and his size, like you said, limits what he could really be because he can't like who are you gonna pair with him? Like a guy like Conley theoretically sounds like a good fit, but Conley has fallen apart this season. Um Clarkson looks like half the time Clarkson looks more reliable than Mitchell. I don't know if the numbers bear that out, but every time I watch a game of the series, I'm more confident in Clarkson scoring sometimes. Oh yeah, um, dude. He was way better than he was their best player, frankly. Yeah. So I and th- that shouldn't happen. That is, it's Jordan Clarkson. It's a perennial sixth man of the year, if that. So I, I agree. I've, it's been disappointing. And this Utah team, we've talked about it. They now that they're officially out, I don't know what they're gonna do, but they have to do something. I mean, all bets are off on where this roster goes from here. Yeah. Um the other thing about Mitchell that we didn't mention is Similar to Towns, just piss poor on court demeanor. Um, oh yes, yeah. did not figure out a way to coexist with Gobert. Made that relationship worse, not better. Even going back to something like, oh well, he got me infected for COVID, and at the time we thought that was the way it worked. We obviously know a lot more now, but yeah. the fact that something like that kind of torpedoed the team. They didn't even talk for four months after that until the bubble, right? The fact that we saw how many passes he made to him or like sort of the, the snipping at each other in, in the media, like just no leadership, no accountability. And once they lost Joe Ingles, it yeah. kind of like the wheels fell off this whole thing. So I, and it shouldn't, it shouldn't be that fragile, right? Like I understand that this team, I lost Ingles. Conley's not the same player. It's not the same team as it was two years ago when they're running through yeah. the West, at least in the regular season. 
But that that's when your stars have to kind of shoulder that burden. And you're right about the encore demeanor and just keep that stuff in house. But all this, like you can, it's so obvious how much these guys hate each other, and it yep. it, it doesn't help anything. So, all right. So there's my list. So I guess we matched up almost entirely. Um, which no, I had a, I had oh, yeah, Fred Van Fleet on my disappointing list. Dude, he didn't play. He was hurt. He he played like three games. He played games. three games. He four games. Like I think he played four. Yeah. He played four. I gave and him a pass. He looked injured. He looked injured. He's going up against Philly. I just he looked. He had some horrific shooting games. He had that one yeah, three for seventeen, bad. and he's just a guy who. Uh, this was the worry. I don't know. He he's always he's looked a lot better. Um, he's been an all star this year. I think the expectations for me were just much higher. And to an affiliate team that's a little bit susceptible to an upset, and I just felt like he didn't show up. But yeah, he was bad. He was so. he was bad, and you know he was an all star this year. This isn't young upstart like yeah. Hey, like happy go lucky Fred Van Bleet. This is an NBA all star, and again, if you reach that air, that comes with certain expectations. So so yeah, I agree. Other- look. And Toronto fell in too big of a hole, right? They could have made this a series if they didn't go down 3-0. So he was he was actually oh sorry, he was number six on my list. Okay. Um but yeah. yeah, the rest of the names all the same, just slightly different order. Can we go back to Ben Simmons? No, I'm just kidding. Um, all right, so that's uh that's our list. Real quickly before we go, predictions for round two, because again, the series will start before we get to chance to talk again. So Let's start Miami, Philly. Miami and six. I got the same. Bucks, Celtics. This one's hard. <laughs> Celtics in seven. I got Celtics in six. Okay. Um, I can't believe I'm doing this. This is a reverse jinx in case they lose. Then <laughs> the plan worked perfectly. Suns, Mavs. I got Suns in six. I got Suns in seven. Luca pushes them, but it's just not enough. And I guess the last one we don't know, but Warriors versus what's, I don't know. Let's call it Memphis. Memphis five. If it's Minnesota four. Like Minnesota would sweep the Warriors? Oh, yeah, of course. No. <laughs> you think Draymond would get into Towns' head? or Dude, Towns it, oh, my God. That, that's penetrate. exactly. That, that I <laughs> just cannot. And I can't imagine how Minnesota even tries to defend. Uh, pool party? The pool party, yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of Pat Beverly, like, Getting up in Steph's grill as he makes four point plays over and over again. <laughs> exactly, it's just a lot of like just showing out for what nothing. Yeah, the Warriors look good, dude. Um, dude, they were interviewing Steve Kerr right before the fourth quarter last night. He's like, "We're down eight. That's nothing, and we just need to play loose." And then they immediately recovered and got the lead <laughs> and ended up winning by like seven. It was like, what the fuck? um, when you are playing the Warriors and you have a lead, the game feels twice as long. Oh, yeah. It's honestly like playing Tom Brady. Like, when you're playing Tom Brady, you're like, why is the second quarter still on? We're up 21. Like, this game should be, like, deep in the fourth. That's what it feels like. Um, There's just so much time. They just, like, always figure out a way to come back. So All right. right. 100% agree. 
All right, we'll uh, see. The most frustrating thing to watch, especially as a bona fide Warriors hater. I hope we get one. I mean, this will help the Warriors, but I hope we get one seven game series at least. Round one, I mean. In round one? Like, we only have one series left. None of the others went to seven. Oh, yeah. So, so you're, you're banking on this one. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, there's no, what other series could it be? Right, right. I'm just saying, one. I know yeah. that that'll help the Warriors because it's more rest and a more tired team. I just not nah, At this point, it doesn't matter. Those teams will both get scraped, right? So I, I want to yeah. keep seven, too. <laughs> yeah. Let's just get to Phoenix and Golden State. And then... Yeah. And, and hopefully both teams are just healthy. At least Phoenix. Yes. And then I think Miami... Well, Miami would be the better team. And then I'm okay with Boston or Milwaukee. And then those are a really fun final four. Yeah, I like that. Just in terms of like truly the four best teams, I think those would be. Yeah. All right, that's a wrap. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on social media. We will talk to you next week. Peace.